Welcome to part four of the Culture Connection. And Coach Weaver, it's great to be back, and I want to build off of what we worked on in part three, which is the Band of Brothers mentality. Yeah, today we're going to look at how elite captains make elite teams. And we're going to look at leaders eat last. You know, and our compelling question for this episode is, what is a sports dynasty? What criteria goes in to really define what a dynasty is? Right, well, Sam Walker, who's the author of Captain Class, used a formula to do this. Now, it took him 12 years to write this book, but his criteria for a dynasty is four championships in six years. And as you and I both know, a lot of teams are coming to people's minds right now, a lot of great teams, but a lot of those elite teams that you're thinking of did not qualify to make this list. Yeah, we're talking the Cowboys in the early 90s. We're talking the Bulls in the mid to late 90s. Jordan actually retired after they won three, and then he came back and they won another three. So in that four world championships in six years, you can cross those great dynasties off the list. Yeah, you can also cross out the New England Patriots, who were champs in 01, 03, and 04, and then again in 14, 16, 18, so they didn't meet that criteria. The teams that did are actually outlined in Sam Walker's book, The Captain Class. And this is another one of my favorite books that I have on my shelf. And I'm actually taking it a step farther. Sam Walker on his website used to have a, uh, a survey that you could take and really classify as to what leader you were. And I actually did that with our Monarch coaching staff a couple years ago. The results were really interesting. But some of the dynasties that he highlights are the New York Yankees, are the Pittsburgh Steelers, you know, are the San Antonio Spurs, and then there's others from around the world and in other sports as well. Right, you, and you can't leave out the New Zealand All Blacks. That's true. <laughs> well, you know, dynasties happen a lot of the times, and people have preconceived notions about these, but is it because they have the best coach in the league, JT? No. How about this? I, I, I think this is it. Dynasties happen because owners spend the most money to get the best players. No. <laughs> Dallas is burning right now. <laughs> All right, so this has to be it then. If, if, if the first two have struck out, dynasties happen because they have the best player in the league. You know, that's really interesting. At first you want to say, well, yeah, obviously your best player is going to carry the team. They're going to be the elite captain. But actually, that's not the case. And in cases like Michael Jordan, he was actually kind of a cancer to his team. He was a bully. Uh, he really hurt the team culture and chemistry because he was so me-oriented. And if you want to read more about that, I highly recommend Tim Grover's book titled Relentless. He was Michael Jordan's personal trainer for a long time. And the book is great at showing that psyche of what it takes to be an elite performer, but not necessarily an elite captain. All right, so now, now that you've said that, I think I know where we can go with this is now that each of those teams that we've talked about that made the list, they had elite captains. Yes. So Yes. And when we talk about elite captains, we're not talking about the stereotypes of fame and fortune. We're not talking about the Brett Favre's of the world that are in it for themselves. And um, another book that I read recently is Gunslinger by... Jeff Perlman, highly recommend that book. But, you know, there's one thing that 
stops Brett from being an elite leader, and that he didn't bring anyone else with him. He didn't really serve other people. In fact, Aaron Rodgers, who's also a Hall of Fame quarterback for the Packers, his replacement, has not one kind word to say about Brett Favre. <laughs> There's no doubt. There's no love loss there with that friendship uh, or lack of friendship there. Um, you know, so, you know, we can dive into this too with the characteristics. We've already talked about what they're not. The characteristics of captains uh, are not the best player on the team. They don't have owners that spend the most money. They don't have the best coach in the league. But what they do have is they're ultra competitive. The captains of those teams are ultra competitive. They're, they have courage to stand apart, and they have emotional control when things go away. You know, I think your ultra-competitive people, they raise those around them. You know, I think about the phrase, rising tide raises all boats, and that's really what these elite captains do. Um, they might not do it in the sense that you think of. It's not a, oh, you can't stop me, you can't, can't whatever. Uh, but I think about Joshua Medcalf and his book, Chop Wood, Carry Water. The captains that embody the ultra-competitiveness, they're the water carriers. They're the ones that lead from the back. They're the servants to the team. They don't have to be the star. They don't have to be the guy averaging three touchdowns a game or 40 points a night. These are your guys that everyone else can depend on, and, and they do all the work that maybe no one even sees. Those three characteristics. Leaders who serve can create dependency on themselves. The easiest way to lead, it turns out, is to serve. So I think about Damon West and the coffee bean again. I know we keep going back to that. But of the five ways to be a coffee bean, he said the secret of life was servant leadership. And here it again stands out to what the most important characteristic it seems to be a captain. Yeah, it's so powerful. You know, how many times do we give a person a C to wear on their jersey just because they lead the team in statistics? And in education and sports, we have data measurements for everything. When really, if you're a water carrier on your team, if you're an elite captain, the team's success is a big enough reward. Right. You know, the water carrier doesn't have to have a limelight. He doesn't, and you know, I think about ego. You know, they don't have a huge ego. You know, for me in the championship game, as I talked about in part three, I wanted that kid to get a touchdown where really, realistically, I don't think he really wanted to scare, he, he didn't care to score a touchdown or not. He wanted to win a championship ring. Yeah, how much of that was your ego and not his? Right. Uh, you know, I think about modern-day leaders that are servant leaders, and uh, one person that comes to my mind is Gerald McCoy, six-time Pro Bowl defensive tackle. I do this every year. Don't worry about it. Let me have it. Y'all go in. I got you. I pick different people every day. So, like, when we put on pads, offense or defense, it don't matter. I'll just pick three or four random people and carry their pads in. You got to serve before you can lead, man. So I was always taught that. So that's just, that's just what I believe in. We all giving it everything we got. Some days you just don't have it. And anything I can do to help the man next to me propel himself to being better, I'll do. Wow, so powerful. To hear McCoy talk about grabbing other people's pads or practice, random people, just picks them up, walks up the field. It's not uncommon to see him wearing, carrying six to eight helmets or shoulder pads. 
And, you know, Coach Weaver, as I sit and I listen to his words on that clip, it's almost like counterculture. Elite leaders are almost counterculture in the sense of, you know, they're they're so selfless when it comes to the team. They just wanted to see the team succeed. And I think Gerald McCoy is such an embodiment of that spirit. Well, you know, the quote that sticks out to me when, when we were listening to that, it goes, my parents always taught me to be a leader. But in the midst of working to be a leader, I learned that you have to serve before you can lead. And how how hard is that for people? You know, they all want to lead and people want to lead. And we're asking kids to be leaders. But in order to lead, you got to be able to lead yourself first. But how many times do we see it the other way around where it's like, well, once I'm established, then I'll lead or then I'll right. serve, you know. Right. Or once I make a million dollars, then I'll give back. Or once I've got my college degree, then I can start making a difference. And really, the opposite is true. Right. You know, another modern-day guy that was at SMU is Cortland Sutton. This is Justin Stepp, the uh, wide receiver coach at the University of Arkansas. Um, wanted to talk to you guys for a few minutes about a receiver that I coached, uh, now plays for the Denver Broncos, named Cortland Sutton. Um, I mean, where do I start? Um, Cortland was an absolute joy to coach. Um, he brought the... He brought a great work ethic and a great attitude to practice every single day, even when he didn't feel like it, and um, was just an, and was an incredible leader for our not only for for the receiver group but for the entire team. He was just he was all about servant leadership, and he knew to be to be a great leader, it was all about you know serving others. Um, I mean, I distinctly remember one of the times we were in a team meeting. And the team meeting's over with, and we had brought in extra chairs. Maybe we had a lot of a lot of high school coaches or something, or maybe some recruits in the back of the room. Um, and the team meeting's over, and he's a fifth year, or he's a senior at this time, not a not a fifth year senior, but he was a a senior in the classroom, junior on the field at this time. And if there was anybody in the room that didn't have to pick the chairs up, it was Cortland Sutton. I mean, it, it, there should have been a lot of other guys going and getting it, but. Um, Cortland went back there and picked up all the chairs and we're taking them out of the uh, was taking them out of the meeting room. Um, you know that that to me, you know, spoke volumes of what kind of kid he is and um, uh, you know how he was raised. Uh, he's got an incredible mom and dad, and um, you know it just spoke volumes to me about the kind of person that he was. To see him do that, I mean, there's you know 100 and, 110 guys on that team, and the I guess everybody would agree probably the best player on that team was. Was, was back there picking the chairs up. Um, so that stuck out to me just to kind of about the kind of servant leadership he, he had. Um, another thing that, that I thought was unique was one summer, Cortland spent um, a summer as an intern with the grounds crew and would go around campus. A, he, he would work on our practice fields, uh, he, but he would also go around campus and help with, you know, spreading mulch or, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, but I'm telling you, that joker knew every single person on that grounds crew's name. Anybody that had anything to do with that university, as far as maintenance and grounds crew, Cortland could walk by him and could call him out by name. Um, that I thought that was pretty special uh, for a kid his age to to take the time out to learn people's names and look them in the face and and ask them how they're doing every single time he saw them. Um, you know, it just it spoke volumes to me. Um, you know about the kind of person that he was and. Um, you know, the, the, the most important thing I could say about Cortland is, you know, he was an unbelievable football player, obviously starting for the Denver Broncos now. Um, but more importantly, Cortland Sutton is an unbelievable kid. He's an unbelievable human being. He's not a kid anymore, but he's an unbelievable um, young man and uh, has a bright future ahead of him. 
Um, you know, I, I would tell NFL scouts would come in all the time and they would say, you know, there's got to be something wrong with this kid. I mean, nobody, I mean, everybody in the building talks very highly of him. There's got to be something wrong with him. And the thing I would always tell him is, hey, listen, y'all can try to find all you want to bad on him. I said, but the one thing I can tell you, the most important thing I can tell you is that my wife and I are about to have our first child and we're going to name, we're naming him Cortland. And um, for my wife and I to, to have our firstborn be named after Cortland Sutton um, was an absolute honor for me. And I, I'll never forget me and him having that conversation in my in my office and, and asking him if it was okay. And he broke down crying. And I cried. And, um, you know, it was a, it was a, he and I have a unique bond. Um, but uh, it was pretty special. So we uh, he, he was special enough and, uh, you know, enough of a, of a leader and, you know, somebody I would, I would absolutely love to have my son named after. And so we named our firstborn, our, our firstborn and our, uh, you know, the only son we have um, after Cortland. So he's, uh, he means a lot to us. And, you know, he's probably one of the best human beings I've ever been around in my life and um, look forward to seeing what he does in the rest of his career. But he's de- he is the definition of servant leadership and, um, and doing things the right way. You know, no one asked him to do those things. He didn't just, you know, no coach went up to him and said, hey, Cortland, would you mind pick cleaning up? He just did it. He did it instinctually. Why is the guy a second-round draft pick by in the NFL? It's because you do little things instinctually. No one has to monitor him. No one has to regulate him or tell him what the right thing to do is. He knows, and then he does it. Yeah. I think about walking down the hallway, and I see kids sometimes – they'll see a piece of trash on the ground and I'll just watch them. And sometimes they pick it up and sometimes they don't. And the ones that pick it up, I look and see who it is and they're a leader somewhere in our school. Yeah. You know, wow. It's uh, one of the core expectations that we have in our school is leave no trace. Mm. In other words, put the room back exactly the way it was. No one should even know that you were in there. And, uh, yeah, so many times we just kick something down the hall or we're just in our own world and befuddled by our own thoughts. And I fall into this trap too. But just stop and leave it better than you found it. And I think when I think about sweeping the shed, when I think about band of brothers and serving other people and uh, all those things funnel back to that, take care of the little things and the big things won't happen. That's so true. You know, we have something called the Pat Award, people acting thoughtful. Um for our school and they're announced every Wednesday and uh, just people being servant leaders inside of our school and we celebrate that. And I think a lot of times, um, you know, we, we miss that boat where we're high on statistics where we want the, the people that are their standouts rather than the person that's in the background doing the little things that are go, that go unnoticed but really make a big impact. I think one of the things that frustrates you and I and guys like us and older generations with today's youth is that they feel like they stop and, and pick a piece of paper up one time or stack chairs one time and they want noticed for it. Right. And I guarantee that's not the first time that uh, Gerald McCoy was carrying helmets. No. And I guarantee that's not the first time that Cortland uh, stayed and cleaned up chairs after a meeting. Coach Weaver, the title of this PowerPoint presentation available at CoachRandyJackson.com is Leaders Eat Last. And up until now, we've explored some captain qualities and we've explored what servant leaders really do. But this Leaders Eat Last principle really stems from Simon Sinek. And he looked at the U.S. Marines 
and how soldiers would always align in rank in order to eat. And officers always ate after enlisted men. So it's not exactly a written rule, but it is a standard. And, and it's a powerful reminder that rank is not a privilege, but a responsibility. When I think about pregame meal, you know, you typically what? Captains go first. When reality, yeah. we should say. Seniors go first. Seniors go first. When reality, it should be seniors go last. So I want to share this with you, and it's off the topic of leaders eat last. Delta State's baseball team, Mike Kennison, who was just in, inducted in the ABCA Hall, uh, Coaches Hall of Fame, uh, he has, when they get off, or when he coached, he's now the athletic director at Delta State, when he would be at a baseball game they, when they would travel, is he would tell all the seniors to grab the bags. He would tell all the seniors to clean up the field after a home game. And he was showing the underclassmen what it looks like to lead. I'm here with Delta State baseball senior Hayden White. And, uh, you know, we're talking about leaders eat last. And I think it's very important that you hear about what Delta State baseball does inside of their uh, baseball program on how it emulates leaders eat last. Yeah, like you said, uh, I play baseball at Delta State, and uh, we're firm believers in uh, seniors, uh, leaders. We always take the initiative. So prime example of that is like away trips. Uh, seniors, leaders, we're responsible about grabbing the equipment, make sure it's getting on, make sure it's getting back on the buzz. And then after uh, we, were, we were, uh, come home, uh, we're in charge of making sure the bus is clean, we're the last ones off. Uh, we just kind of make sure everybody's doing the right thing because – that's uh, pretty much our job right now is to hold the team accountable and make sure everything gets done correctly in the right way. And I thought that was so awesome because how many times we, we hear kids say, oh, sophomores get the balls, oh, sophomores get the equipment off the bus, when it should be flipping of the script. And that's where we get this Leaders Eat Last. Well, this is going to conclude our Leaders Eat Last presentation. But, Coach Weaver, I think – the, the takeaway is that there's two things that really stand out to me about true captains, and not just the statistical leaders. But one, they're great at communication, and fiery speeches are rare. Sometimes they might not even say a word. They're your water carriers, not your speech givers. Yeah. You know, we can get into this more and more, and we can have a whole day discussion on what elite captains look like. But I think this is a great – uh, synopsis of what it takes to be an elite captain. But, you know, for me, and I'm one of these guys, they're arm-around communicators. And if you think about it, what's an arm-around communicator? All right, so you look at this, and, and you know, high-fives really matter. I'm a high-five guy. I'm a fist-bump guy. But, you know, they tracked the amount of touching that happens in high-fives in a basketball game. And in a 48-minute basketball game, every 90 seconds, there's touch. So, you know, more touch equals more wins. More touch equals selfless play. More touch equals more help on defense. And more touch equals better screens. And I think we, we miss that with touch. You know, wrap, putting your arm around somebody, letting somebody know that you care. And I think that's what a captain really does. Is they're going to show you how much they really care about you as a teammate and they value you as a teammate. But, and it's about personal connection. You know, Think about it, and this just speaks to all the other things that we track, but if the NBA can track the number of touches or the number of high fives that are given, and not just the player coming off the floor and onto the bench, you know, touching the guy that's coming into the ball game or whatever, but 
It's about selflessness. It's about connectedness. It's about legacy. It's about all the things that we've stood for with the Band of Brothers, with the All Blacks, uh, and beyond. And it's just really important for other people to know touches matter, how you interact with matters. Some of the stereotypes of captains are wrong and that your leaders are selfless servants who always eat last. This concludes part four of the Culture Connection. To find the Leader Deep Last PowerPoint, please visit randyjackson.com and download this along with other resources. Also, please reach out to @cultureclass19 on Twitter and follow Coach Weaver and I, as well as drop just some information about how you build connectedness into your team. How do you demonstrate farm around leadership? Thanks for listening to the Culture Class. GameStrat is the number one choice for football coaches looking for the most reliable and advanced sideline replay system on the market. More coaches are switching to GameStrat because it simply works when it's supposed to work. And unlike other systems, GameStrat is simpler to set up and use, delivers the fastest video transfer times in the industry, gives you the most tagging capabilities, and has the best game day support. Choose GameStrat for your game day needs. Cultural Classroom is supported by Lausanne Learning, a nonprofit run by educators for educators with a mission to engage students, empower teachers, and transform schools. Through professional development conferences focusing on active learning, practical resources, and reflective teaching, including fishbowl classrooms and a unique teacher-to-teacher -teacher consulting program, Lausanne Learning is providing the authentic professional development your school needs. Visit them at lawsandlearning.com today to find one of their active learning conferences near you and to learn more about changing education from the ground up.